Chapter Number Eighteen of A Red Wallflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shashank Jakmola. A Red Wallflower by Susan Warner, a neighbor. The packing and sending off of boxes was ended at last, and the bear empty echoing forlorn house seemed of itself to eject its inhabitants when it came to that everybody was ready to go mrs barker lamented that she should not go on before the rest of the family to prepare the place a bit for them but that was impossible they must all go together it was the middle of november when at last the family made their flitting they had no dear friends to leave and nothing particular to regret except that one low mound in the churchyard yet esther fell sober as they drove away the only tangible reason for this on which her thoughts could fix was the fact that she was going away from the place where pitt dallas was at home and to which he would come when he returned from england she would then be afar off yet there would be nothing to hinder his coming to see them in their new home so the feeling did not seem well justified besides that esther also had a somewhat vague sense that she was leaving the domain of childhood and entering upon the work and sphere of a woman she was just going to school but perhaps the time of confusion she had been passing through might have revealed to her that she had already a woman's life work on her hands and the confusion was not over and the work only begun she had perhaps a dim sense of this however she was young and the soberness was certainly mixed with gladness for was she not going to school and so on the way to do something of the work pitt was doing in mental furnishing and improvement i think gladness had the upper hand it took two days of stage travelling to get them to their destination they were days full of interest and novelty for esther eager anticipation and hope but the end of the second day found her well tired indeed it was the case with them all mrs barker had lamented that she and christopher were not allowed to go off some time before the family so as to have things in a certain degree of readiness for them the colonel had said it was impossible they could not be spared from seaforth until the last minute and now here they were all in a heap as mrs baker expressed it to be tumbled into the house at once she begged that the colonel would stay the night over in the city and gave her at least a few hours to prepare for him the colonel would not hear of it however but at once procured vehicles to take the whole party and their boxes out to the place that was to be their new home it was then already evening the short november day had closed in he's that simple mrs barker confided to her brother he expects to find a fire made and a room ready for him it's like all the gentlemen they never take no uh, thinks the furniture'll hop out of the boxes like kind of how things is done if it ain't their things and stand around echoed christopher i'm afeard they won't be so obliging the drive was somewhat slower in the dark than it would have been otherwise and the stars were out and looking down brilliantly upon the little party as they finally dismounted at their door the shadow of the house rising before them a cool air from the river the sparkling stars above the vague darkness around esther never forgot that homecoming they had stopped at a neighbor's house to get the key and now the front door being unlocked 
made their way in, one after another. Esther was confronted first by a great packing case in the narrow hall which blocked up the way. Going carefully round this, which there was just room to do, she stumbled over a smaller box on the floor. Oh, Papa, take care, she cried to her father, who was following her. The house is all full of things, and it is so dark. Oh, Barker, can't you open the back door and let in a gleam of light? This was done, and also in due time a lantern was brought upon the scene. It revealed a state of things almost as hopeless as the world appeared to Noah's dove the first time she was sent out of the ark. If there was rest for the soles of their feet, it was all that could be said. There was no promise of a place to sit down, and as for lying down and getting their natural rest, the idea was utopian. Now look here, said a voice suddenly out of the darkness outside. You're all fagged out, ain't you? And there ain't nothing on earth you can do tonight. There's no use of your trying. Just come over to my house and have some supper. You must want it bad. Been travelling all day, ain't you? Just come over to me. I've got some hot supper for you. Land's sakes, you can't do nothing here tonight. It is a kind of a turn-up, ain't it? La, a movin's a worse than a wedding for putting everybody out. The voice, sounding at first from the outside, had been gradually drawing nearer and nearer, till with the last words the speaker also entered the back room where Esther and her father were standing. They were standing in the midst of packing cases, of every size and shape, between which the shadows lay dark while the faint lantern light just served to show the rough edges and angles of the boxes and the hopeless conditions of things generally. It served also now to let the newcomer be dimly seen. Esther and her father, looking towards the door, perceived a stout little figure with her two hands rolled up in her shawl, head bare, and with hair in neat order, for it glanced in the lantern shine as only smooth things can. The features of the face were not discernible. It's the colonel himself, ain't it? she said. They said he was a tall man, and I see this a tall one. Is it the colonel himself? I couldn't somehow make out the name, and I can. I can't see nothing as the light is. At your service, madam, said the person addressed. Colonel Gainsborough. The visitor dropped a little dot of a courtesy, which seemed to Esther inexpressibly funny, and went on. Beg pardon for not knowing. Well, colonel, I'm sure you're tired and hungry. You and your daughter, is it? I've got a hot supper for you over to my house. I always think there's nothing like having things hot. Cold comfort ain't no comfort for me. And I've got everything hot for you, hot and nice. And now, will you come over and eat it? You see, you can't do nothing here tonight. I don't see how ever you're to sleep in this world. There ain't nothing here but floors and the boxes, and if you'll take beds with me, I'm sure you're welcome. I thank you, madam. You're very kind. But I do not think we need trouble you the colonel said, with civil formality. Esther was amused, but also a little eager that her father should accept the invitation. What else would become of him, she thought. The prospect was desolation. Truly, they had some cooked provisions, but that was only cold comfort, as the visitor had said. Doubtful if the term could be applied at all. Now you just best come right over, the fluent but kind voice said persuasively. It's all spilling to be eat. And what can you do? There ain't no fire here to warm you, and it'll take a bit of a while before you can get one, and you're all tired out. Just come over and have a cup of hot coffee, 
and get hardened up a bit, and then you'll know what to do next. I always think one thing at a time. Papa, said Esther a little timidly, hadn't you better do it? There's nothing but confusion here. It will be a long time before we can get you even a cup of tea. It's all ready, the visitors went on, ready and spilling, and I got it for you on purpose. Now don't stand thinking about it, but just come right over. I'll be as glad to have you as if you was new apples. How far is it, ma'am? Esther asked. Just two steps down the other side of the field. It's the very next house to yourn. Oh, I lived there a matter of ten years, and I was main glad to hear there was somebody coming in here again. It's so sort of lonesome to see the window alice shut up, and your light looks real cheery, if it is only a lantern light. I knowed when you was a-comin', and says I, they'll be real tied out when they gets here, says I, and I'll have a hot supper ready for em, and it's all I can do. But I'm sure, if you'll sleep, you're welcome. If you please, sir, put in Mrs. Barker. It would be the most advisest thing you could do, but there ain't no prospect here, and if you and Miss Esther was away for a bit, maybe me and Christopher would come to see daylight after a while, which it is what I don't do at present. The good woman's voice sounded so thoroughly perturbed and expressed such an undoubted earnest desire that the colonel, contrary to all his traditions, gave in. He and Esther followed their new friend. Cross the field, as she said but they hardly knew where, till the light and warmth of her hospitable house received them. How strange it was, the short walk in the starlight, then the homely hospitable room, with its spread table, the pumpkin pie, and the sausage, and the pickles, and the cheese, and the cake, the very coarse tablecloth, the little two-pronged forks, and knives which might have been cut out of sheet iron, and singular ware which did service for china. The extreme homeliness of it all would almost have hindered Esther from eating, though she was very hungry. But there was good bread and butter, and coffee that was hot, and not bad otherwise, although assuredly it never saw the land of Arabia. Certainly it seemed very good to Esther that night, even taken from a pewter spoon. And the tablecloth was clean, and everything upon it. So, with doubtful hesitation at first, Esther found the supper good, and learned her first lesson in the broadness of humanity and the wide variety in ways of human life. Their hostess, seen by the light of her dipped candles, was in perfect harmony with their entertainment. A round little woman, very neat and terribly plain, with a full oval face which had no other characteristics of beauty, insignificant features, and a pale skin covered with freckles. Out of this face, however, looked a pair of small, shrewd, and kind grey eyes. Their owner could be no fool. Esther was surprised to see that her father, who was, to be sure, an old campaner, made a very fair supper. In the darkness I could hardly see where we went, he remarked. But I suppose your husband is the owner of the neat gardens I observed formerly near our house. Well, he would be if he was alive, was the answer. But that's what he ain't been this five year. Then how do you manage them? Well, Colonel, I manage him better than he did. Mr. Blumenfeld was an easy kind of man, easy to live with, too. But when you have other folks to see to, it don't do no ways to let em have their own heads too much. And that's what he did. He was a first-rate gardener, and no mistake, he knew his business. But the thing he didn't know was folks, so they cheated him. Why, folks ain't like flowers, not exactly. Or if they be, as he used to say, there's tongs among em now, and then a weed or two. Blumenfeld, 
repeated the colonel. You are not German, surely? Well, I guess I ain't, said the little woman. Not if I know myself. I ain't saying nothing again what he was. Well, uh, there's different natures in the world, and I'm different. Folks do say, his folks is great for getting along, but he weren't. That's all I have to say. He learned me the garden work, though. Not much he did. And how do you manage the business? I do so. Won't you have another cup, Colonel? They went back to their disordered house, resisting all further offers of hospitality. And in time, beds were got out and prepared. How? Esther could hardly remember afterwards. The confusion was so great. But it was done, and she lost every other feeling in the joy of repose. End of chapter 18